You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. I'm Jordan Armstrong. Thanks for joining us. Nithu Garcha has the night off. A bit of overnight rain helped cool fire activity at the White Rock Lake blaze burning between Kamloops and Vernon. But tonight, tempers are still flaring in the battle between residents of Monty Lake and the B.C. government. Dozens have stayed behind, defying an evacuation order, convinced that if they didn't protect their homes, no one else would. In a moment, you'll hear from B.C.'s public safety minister, but we begin with Global's Ahmad Agahi. He has a look inside the fire zone. Ahmad? Well, we are at the check stop on Highway 97. This is as close as anyone can get uh, by highway to the fire ravaged communities of Monty Lake and areas of Paxton Valley. The RCMP are here blocking traffic to anyone but authorized vehicles because about five kilometers down that road is where we're told active spot fires from the White Rock Lake fire are still burning. It's also where residents who may have not evacuated immediately are still battling the flames and trying to save what little may be left. The worst of the White Rock Lake fire seems to have already passed through. Yeah, we got to get in there, boys. It's uh, getting bad. But by no means is Monty Lake in Paxton Valley safe from another flare-up. In the eyes of the people who say they know the area the best. We've been dealing with this non-stop. We lost another structure this morning um, just because there's no one here. This crew is actually just a handful of neighbors defying evacuation orders. They come through here like a hurricane. They look at the trees. They were supposed to have left here on Thursday. If some firefighters guys showed up at my place right now and said, hey, we got this, I'll be more than happy to leave. There's no other help, no outside help. It's just people that live here running around tirelessly trying to put out fires. Even if they've already lost everything, like Rob Bouchard. I got nothing left to lose, so give me all the fines you want. I'm staying until everybody's, everybody that's got a house or a building remaining, I'm staying until they're safe. There were people who stayed behind on Thursday on an evacuation order. Firefighters had to go in to rescue them. It meant diverting firefighters and equipment from the fire. And it almost ended very tragically. And in response to a common suggestion in the Paxton Valley area that crews were too slow to get on top of the fire and respond full force when it could have been contained weeks ago, the public safety minister had this to say. I know that some people have heard that, oh, people were told to stand down for 48 hours to fight this fire. That is simply not true. And that is false. Perhaps to keep others from returning back to an evacuation zone, on Sunday the effort to keep people out of the area hardest hit appeared more coordinated, with back roads also being cut off to vehicle traffic. Meanwhile, those evacuated for an unknown amount of time are disappointed that much of the resource being put into fighting what is being called the province's top priority fire is now visibly focused on the southeastern flank. There's no support here because it's all in Kelowna and Vernon. Not enough for tax base out here, honey. Now we are meeting some people that live in the community that come up to this check stop and are getting RCMP escorts to their properties to assess damage, maybe check on a livestock, but they are not being given the option to stay and usually are escorted right back out. Back to you. 
Amadagahi near Kamloops tonight. It's not just humans being uprooted from their homes amid the wildfire devastation in Monty Lake. Pot-bellied pig is among the animals that survived the flames. Its owner posted a sign at the front of the property saying it's home to two pigs and a chicken. A rabbit also escaped the inferno and is now hiding out in its wooden enclosure with scorched earth nearby. More heartbreaking video shows cows grazing on burnt terrain, their habitat permanently scarred as the White Rock Lake fire ripped through the community. On the Okanagan side of this fire, Interior Health is preparing for the possible relocation of care home residents and community health clients in Vernon and Armstrong. Vernon Jubilee Hospital remains open, but ICU and patients with complex needs are being proactively relocated to ensure continuity, continuity of care. Meantime, conditions today created a lull in fire activity on the west side of Okanagan Lake. But as Megan Turcato reports, that reprieve is expected to be temporary. Plumes of smoke rise off the west side of Okanagan Lake Sunday afternoon, a far cry from the intense flames visible less than 48 hours earlier. Cooler, wetter conditions have led to a temporary lull in this area of the massive 55,000 hectare White Rock Lake wildfire. We're certainly hoping to get as ahead of, ahead of the curve as we can, essentially with uh, this kind of window of opportunity. The relatively calmer fire behavior Sunday, meaning it's safer for crews to attack the blaze head on. Right now they're doing direct attack and so uh, they're kind of actually putting fire out. And then we also have our wildland firefighters working behind and away from the structures to build guard and, and prevent any further growth where the fire isn't already um, sort of threatening any structures. The fire has burnt to within 125 meters of the west side of Okanagan Lake. How close it is to the actual structures, I'm not sure, but the fire perimeter certainly is on private property, so, so quite close to people's properties. Many residents in the area under evacuation orders, some for over a week now, waiting nervously to see what will happen next. Hope everybody has a home to go to when, they, when it's all over with, that's all. Some more recent evacuees told to head hours away to Sun Peaks because there are no rooms available in Vernon. So we're going to go test out the system. We're going to go and make sure we got our room in Sun Peak Resorts and, and hopefully we can get back to our home in the near future. Late Sunday afternoon, his neighborhood was allowed to go back as the Okanagan Indian Band partially downgraded its evacuation order to an alert. But the fire service is warning the reprieve in fire conditions will only be temporary. By probably Thursday and Friday of next week, it, it has the chance to be as aggressive as it has been. We'll just kind of need to get a little bit closer to that time to see where we can uh, forecast winds and wind direction so we would kind of have a better idea of growth and in what areas. Still more anxious days ahead for the North Okanagan. Megan Tricato, Global News, Vernon. Better news for some of those evacuated in the 100-mile house area due to the Flat Lake fire. Conditions have improved and the evacuation alerts connected to the fire have been rescinded. Interior Health says care home residents are able to return. Over the coming days, they will transport 124 residents who had been evacuated from Merritt, Kamloops, Salmon Arm, and Williams Lake. Strong winds in the interior have forced two massive fires burning near Edgewood to merge. The BC Wildfire Service says the Michaud Creek blaze has combined with the Renata Creek fire. From now on, it will all be considered the Michaud Creek fire. It's believed to be more than 12,000 hectares. 34 firefighters and four helicopters are battling this blaze, which was sparked by lightning. 
For nearly 17 months, the Canada-U.S. border has been closed to non-essential travel due to the pandemic. But just after 9 o'clock tonight, that will finally change, as fully vaccinated Americans will be allowed to enter Canada. It's an easing of restrictions that's not being reciprocated, at least not for now. Here's Global's Paul Johnson. A summer Sunday at Vancouver's Granville Island, where foreign tourist sales, particularly American ones, can make the difference between profit and failure. While some of those Americans are poised to start coming back, what should we expect? Border expert Laurie Troutman suggests British Columbians ought to manage their expectations. I think there's sort of a, a certain contingent of people that are going to really jump at the gun for the opportunity to enter Canada without having to quarantine tomorrow. But in terms of casual tourism or the typical cross-border movements that we see in some regions, I think that's going to take a while to come back. So think property owners and separated loved ones. They're the people most incentivized to master the Arrive Can app and arrange for a PCR test that they may have to pay for soon. So while the border will be opening for fully vaccinated Americans, don't expect Canada to be attractive for day trippers this summer. It's a long time coming. Whatever those numbers end up being, BC's tourism operators will be happy to have them. Two-thirds of the international visitors to British Columbia who spend at least one night in the city or in the province are from the United States, and that represents billions of dollars in revenue. But even with the return of some Americans, prospects in the tourism sector remain bleak. The summer's already half over, and the trickle that's likely to start Monday won't be nearly enough to offset pandemic losses to date. The sector will be lobbying for taxpayer support to continue well into next year. So one big question is when will fully vaccinated Canadians be able to start driving back down into the U.S.? That's still a big unknown at this point. Observers are telling us they think that's because the White House has two major borders to think about, each one of them very different. On Granville Island, Paul Johnson, Global News. Of course, the reopening comes as cases of a concerning COVID-19 variant continue to climb. Keith Baldry is here with a look at Delta's dominance in B.C. Keith? Yes, the dreaded Delta variant of concern is considered to be most transmissible, the most infectious variant of all. It's wreaking havoc through parts of the United States. The American South is in a real mess right now because of the Delta variant in such huge numbers, leading to all sorts of hospitalizations, also parts of Europe dealing with this variant. Now the latest report from the Center for Disease Control shows basically the Delta variant is what's at the heart of our COVID-19 pandemic. Overall, the overall rate is 95%. Those are the cases in the last week week of July, almost 1,500 cases. The interior, basically every case there, 99% is the Delta variant. Vancouver Island, 96%. Fraser, 90%. Vancouver Coastal, 86%. Even Northern Health Authority, 79% of the cases there, now the Delta variant. There was no Delta detected up until this particular week in July. And even though we've been focusing on the interior, Jordan, about the big spike in cases there, less noticed, but certainly noticeable, is the fact we've seen a, a significant increase of cases on Vancouver Island 
Island and the North where the Delta is most, uh, most plentiful. And again, the, the Northern Health Authority used to get five or six cases a day, now 20, 25 cases. Same with Vancouver Island, five, six, seven cases a day. It ended the week with more than 70 cases over just a period of days. Thankfully, we're not seeing the hospitalizations or the ICU numbers that normally are associated with Delta, but there's also a lag factor. So we're not out of the woods yet. Those hospitalization numbers and ICU numbers could climb significantly in the weeks ahead as a result of so much Delta out there. All right. Thanks a lot for this, Keith. Those statistics are lending greater urgency to vaccination clinics being held, particularly in the central Okanagan. As Global's Yasmin Gandam reports, one pub in downtown Kelowna is giving out a different kind of shot. Come down, um, get your shot and carry on with your day. And that did seem to be the sentiment of everyone attending the pub pop-up, quick and easy to get their jab. Well, you know, it's convenient for the pop-up clinics, you know, my hubby can watch kids and then I can go in and get a shot on the weekend and, you know, might as well do it, get it over with. Yeah, convenience is, uh, makes it a lot quicker and easier to do, so less time out of the day to do it. Um, and then sometimes I get nervous, so I was a lot more relaxed. Um, it's way better than like a huge building full of, full of nurses and, and people, yeah. So it was, it was really nice and there's art in there too, so it's really nice to look at. The pop-up clinic comes after the central Okanagan is subject to new restrictions closing nightclubs and bars. The rush to get vaccinated is even more so now with Interior Health continuing to lead the province in daily COVID cases with nearly 60% of the new cases in that region. Rhonda Lindsay, one of the owners of the train station pub, says the idea started because her staff wanted the shot. We had an opportunity through Interior Health with the assistance of BC Restaurant and Food Association to uh, have nurses come down and immunize any of your team that wanted it. And so we asked our team and uh, they wanted it. And we thought that to utilize the best use of the resources and open it up to the public as well. More pop-ups likely to show up throughout the Okanagan to get people easy access to getting their jab. Yasmin Gandam, Global News. A man is in hospital with serious injuries after being attacked by a black bear in central B.C. It happened near Fort Fraser, west of Vanderhoof, at about 10.30 this morning. Bystanders at the scene managed to scare the bear away, and the man was rushed to hospital by ambulance. The B.C. Conservation Service Predator Attack Team is responding to the incident. Welcome back. New Westminster police cordoned off a downtown block early this morning following a stabbing at a strip club. Officers were on scene in front of the Paramount Theatre and blood was visible on the sidewalk. Police say at closing time, 2 a.m., there was a fight and one man was knifed. He was taken to hospital to be treated for serious but non-life-threatening injuries. Two suspects were arrested nearby. Police are calling it an isolated incident, but no word on what led up to the violence. In Vancouver, the area of Knight Street and 55th Avenue was closed for several hours overnight after a tractor-trailer clipped a fence and traffic light standard. The semi ended up jackknifed in the middle of the street. Vancouver Fire Rescue says the fuel tank ruptured as a result of the crash, and the hazmat response team was called in. The driver ended up with a minor cut to his hand. No word yet on the cause of the accident. As it continues to battle challenges made tougher by the pandemic, Vancouver's Chinatown is experiencing a restaurant renaissance of sorts with a strong summer patio scene and diverse range of dining options. And now, as Kristen Robinson reports, a blast from the past is set to reopen early next year. This daylight parade may look like a scene from a silent movie, 
But this was an era when Chinatown came alive after dark. Chinatown has this whole amazing history of, of being an entertainment center. There were places um, where you could not only eat, but see a show. And uh, the Marco Polo, maybe being, you know, the best of the bunch, um, opens 1964. And that was a place for, you know, for $20, you could get admission and see some acts like uh, Nina Simone or Richard Pryor or Sly and the Family Stone. In the 1960s and 70s, the area was a neon strip of nightlife and restaurants on Pender Street, anchored by the iconic Ho-Ho. It's pretty legendary. It was one of those restaurants that I think a lot of people who grew up in Vancouver would remember. The Ho-Ho opened in 1954 and became known for its Cantonese cooking. The people who came to work on the railroads were trying to recreate some of the food that they had eaten in their, in their home country. After a more than four-decade run as one of Chinatown's original restaurants, the Ho-Ho sign came down in 1997 before Fu's Ho-Ho moved in, refreshing the neon bowl of noodles and old-style food until Carol Lee bought the business in 2015 with plans to reopen the eatery known for weddings, banquets and birthday parties. Those memories are tied up in the Ho-Ho and, and I think it'll be a, a great way of trying to bring people back into Chinatown. Lee believes restaurants are the recipe for vibrance. She opened the Chinatown barbecue in 2017 and is now turning the page on the Ho-Ho. Chinatown for the broader community has always been a place to come and eat, uh, experience the, uh, the sights, the sounds and the food. With Kiefer Street a patio dining destination and 60 eateries and food services within six square blocks, Chinatown is also home to some of the city's top restaurants. We've got the best donuts in the city, we've got some of the best coffees in the city, and we've got some of the top bars in the city. It is a huge undertaking to bring something like this back. Especially in a more than century-old building wearing the challenges of the neighborhood's decline. Still, Lee is committed to unlocking the past and installing a new sign to get the ho-ho shining by early 2022. Vancouver is a neon city. It'll be amazing to see that bowl again with the chopsticks sticking out of it. Kristen Robinson, Global News. An RCMP dive team has been called to Alice Lake near Squamish. They are searching for a man who fell off a paddleboard this morning and hasn't been seen since. Mounties have closed off access to Alice Lake. Paramedics were called just after 9 this morning. An ambulance, a search and rescue team and a helicopter all responded, but the man has not been found. Alice Lake remains closed indefinitely, so everyone is asked to stay away. And the RCMP confirm one person has drowned in Tofino. First responders were called to Long Beach just before 6 last night. They tried to save the person, but were not successful. The death is not being treated as suspicious. In Ottawa, there is growing anticipation that a federal election call could come any day now. The Liberals have been hinting at it for weeks, and the political party machines are already in high gear. But do Canadians really want to vote? Mike LeCouture looks at that tonight. Pandemic restrictions are easing across the country, and cities are coming back to life. But a federal election is looming, and it seems the average Canadian would rather hit a patio than head to the polls. There's just too much. It's fine as it is right now. There's too much going on. Let's just let this ride out. There have been successful provincial elections during the pandemic, even before vaccines were available. In those votes, BC Premier John Horgan converted his minority government into a majority 
as did Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick. Those successes may be what's motivating Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as he watches his poll numbers. A recent poll by Ipsos shows the majority of Canadians believe the pandemic won't be done even in the next year. So if an election is called soon, Daryl Bricker cautions the Liberals against making the ballot question about how the government managed the pandemic response. To go out and claim victory and ask for a referendum on your performance uh, seems like you're asking for, uh, you know, uh, an evaluation of, of in a hockey game after the first period. Despite that warning, it would seem Prime Minister Trudeau is getting ready to drop the gloves and drop the writ, triggering an election later this summer. Michael Couture, Global News, Ottawa. The United Nations is set to release a climate change report tomorrow that will likely deliver even starker warnings about how quickly the planet is warming and how damaging the impacts might get. Just this year, we've experienced a heat dome and raging wildfires in B.C. There's been deadly flooding in Europe and Asia and heat waves hitting the U.S. Scientists say that's just some of the effects of climate change. It's been eight years since the U.N.'s Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change issued its last update. The new report will forecast how much more greenhouse gas emissions can be pumped into the atmosphere before the average global temperature rises more than one and a half degrees Celsius. That revised carbon budget may serve as a guide to governments as they map out their own emissions-cutting plans ahead of a major U.N. climate conference in November. In Toronto, an early morning shooting in Kensington Market has left two people dead and two others in hospital. As Global's Brittany Rosen reports, the incident has left those who live and work in the area shaken. It's a very brazen daylight shooting. It also shows the severity of, of the incident. A jarring start to the morning for residents and storefront owners here in Kensington Market who say they heard multiple gunshots ring out just before 6 a.m. I heard four or five. My wife said there were like more. She said they were like firecrackers. Police say two victims were pronounced dead on scene, while two others suffered serious injuries. The gunshots targeted at least four men between the ages of 28 and 43 following an altercation at the intersection of Spadina Avenue and Nassau Street. The crime scene was fairly large from the actual intersection. And actually it kept expanding as we were there. Shell casings reaching as far as across the street. Tony Louie arrived at work to find them outside of his bar, Grossman's Tavern. He says this isn't a first. Well, it happened before, I don't know how many years ago, probably about eight years ago. The same thing happened across the street. Almost identical, I think. This echoed by shop owner Jerry Hom. Of course I'm shocked. I live across the street. But I am not shocked about the level of gun violence that's increasing. Others say they're shaken up after hearing about what happened. I've been here about two months now working on the street, cleaning. So it's a big surprise to me. It's terrible with all these shootings going on. Police say at this time there is no threat to public safety. Officers are continuing to investigate the circumstances around this shooting. If you have any additional information about what's happened here or you happen to have any dash cam video or surveillance footage, you're asked to contact Toronto Police. Brittany Rosen, Global News. An honour today at the BC Aviation Museum for the last Canadian to be awarded the Victoria Cross. 
Six aircraft flew in formation for Robert Hampton Gray and over a new monument to Canada's most widely known naval aviator. Gray was born in Trail and 76 years ago today he led a mission against Japanese naval ships flying headlong into a barrage of anti-aircraft fire. He was hit almost immediately but before he crashed into the sea Gray managed to drop his last bomb sinking a Japanese destroyer. His body was never recovered. I'm tearful. It's just a, a, a memory of sadness for our family that they lost two sons in the war and so many others, 101,000 others in World War II. But also for our family, it brings back memories of all the honours and accolades that were uh, awarded to Hampton. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Stick libraries are popping up in dog parks all over the world, and we found one in Tawasson. The story behind it, right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, the Abbotsford Air Show is wrapping up its first pandemic-era performance. The show was canceled last year because of COVID-19 and came back this year in a modified version called SkyDrive. It follows safety protocols. For viewers, it was kind of like a drive-in movie where you stay in or near your car to watch the planes perform the tricks overhead. Rain scrubbed yesterday's morning performance, but all performances went ahead today without a hitch. And it was the chance for some to see their loved ones in a new way for the first time. It's been a real great weekend, a pleasure having her. And then my dad also is uh, in the crowd today, so yeah, uh, it's really special, I guess. She's kind of fourth generation uh, pilot or soon to be. Yeah. What jet you want to fly? The cheetah the jet. She wants to fly a cheetah jet. <laughs> Very cute. A future aviator there, Yvonne. Yeah. It was a great day for the air show this morning, but I think I see the sun peeking out there. That's nice. Yeah, more breaks, especially as we get in uh, towards the next few days. And we've, the heat is on. I'll have more on that and how hot it's going to be as we look ahead towards our long-range forecast and our workweek forecast. But yeah, more breaks out there. Beautiful shot right now overlooking English Bay. We're sitting at 21, and we've got a southeasterly wind at 17 kilometers per hour. We may still have a very slight chance for an isolated shower along the south coast, but it really is going to ease off, especially overnight tonight. We've got a partly cloudy sky, a few clouds in the mix for the morning hours. It starts to clear out, and then as we get in towards the afternoon tomorrow, 22 will be the high, away from the water 25, but it's areas away from the water tomorrow, feeling closer to 28. Smoky Skies Bulletin is still in effect for the Fraser Canyon. This stretches in towards the Okanagan Valley, the southeastern corners, still seeing smoke, especially near the fires, and impacting all areas over the next 24 and 48 hours. An update from the BC Wildfire Service, we've got reporting act 273 active fires 139 of them are out of control 31 fires of note and 70 percent of them caused by lightning now the precipitation is going to be along the northern half of the province it pushes in overnight we'll continue to see it unfortunately it's still going to be dry for the southern half and the southeastern corners of the province over the next few days the big weather story that we're following is a ridge of high pressure that'll build in wednesday onwards it'll start to strengthen it'll continue towards the end of the week we'll likely see some of the hottest temperatures thursday Friday and leading in towards the weekend. Temperature trend, for example, in Metro Vancouver will get into the low 30s and areas in the interior could see the mid and upper 30s as we approach the end of the week and leading in towards next weekend. 
It's wet and cooler, though, for the northern half of the province. There is an increase in cloud cover for much of the central interior. The southern half tomorrow will start to see that heat building over the next few days and still seeing smoke across the region. Highs even for Kamloops tomorrow getting up to 29 degrees. Along the south coast, we'll have a partly cloudy sky for the morning. It leaves off. We've got some sunshine in store. Away from the water tomorrow, feeling like 28 degrees. Heat is on once again, Jordan. We'll start to see it hot again Wednesday, even Thursday. Those numbers away from the water up to 34 degrees. Hot, hot, hot. All right. Thanks for the heads up, Yvonne. Last night we showed you a dog's dream resource in the States. Well, it turns out Metro Vancouver has its own little stick library. The stick library, Tawasson Branch, is getting a lot of sniffs. Janice Yule saw a similar idea in Saskatchewan, and after her dog Dawson passed away on Canada Day, she thought his favorite part could benefit from the fetching tool. So, with some help from a builder friend, the Stick Library launched about two weeks ago in Pebble Hill Off-Leash Dog Park. And it's been a hit with the simple rule, take a stick, leave a stick. Often he would be out here with other dogs running around and uh, enjoying the park and... Uh, and they would be chasing after sticks and balls. And so I thought it would be uh, really nice for the community to, to enjoy it as well. well. I think it's a great idea. The dogs come in here. It's in a dog park and the dogs come by and they grab a stick and fight over it. And I think it's really nice. It's a good way to memorialize your dog. More of those, please. The dogs deserve it, right? Yeah, I have a feeling love, like it's going to yeah. pop up more often. Sorry, Barry, go ahead. Sorry, I love just how happy a dog can be just yeah. at the thought of having a stick to it play doesn't with. take much. Puts things in perspective for us. <laughs> you don't need much, you need a stick. Yeah. Barry, we could all learn from dogs, right? <laughs> sure can. Uh, speaking of, uh, well, not speaking of, but going into sports, so we, <laughs> we have, uh, a, okay, Olympic soccer. We don't have that to cheer for anymore, but the Whitecaps are... Still uh, there to cheer for. Yes, right. They're actually on the pitch right now against uh, LA Galaxy. 1-1 in the second half. So we'll have uh, early highlights of that. And as you mentioned, the Olympics, they're done. They got through them. A lot of people didn't think that would actually happen uh, maybe this time last year. But they did get through and Canada had a record-setting Olympics. So we'll go through that as well. Welcome back. Team Canada has often been considered a Winter Olympics contender, but that might have changed with the Tokyo Summer Games, with a new generation of younger athletes stepping up and onto the podium. Julia Foy reports. Drag those knees up. That's it. 16-year-old Caden Lee has been running for several years, and he gets inspiration from the best. I was following closely with Andre de Grasse. His 200 was the most impressive, especially for me as... His kick down the back stretch was pretty exhilarating to watch. In the under-18 category, Caden recently broke a Thunderbird track and field club record for a mile run that was set back in 1984. I ran uh, in the very low 4 minutes and 12 seconds. I barely inched it out. As the Tokyo Olympics wrap up and Canadian athletes head for home, some of the youngest superstars, including Canada's most decorated Olympian, swimmer Penny Alexiak, have a message for those who will follow their own dreams. Just do what you want to do, do what you love, and um, 
just go for it. You know what I mean? I think that's something that I've always tried to kind of get across. At age 14, Summer McIntosh is Canada's youngest Olympian. She says it was never too early for her to look to the future. It's been a childhood dream of mine since I was like five because of my mom and just I'm just really excited to be able to say that I went to the Olympics. A director at Western University's International Centre for Olympic Studies says we need to build on the success of this Summer Olympics. The youth uh, of Canada need uh, a real boost right now and particularly around physical activity and sports. So for us to do well in 2024, we have to at least maintain, if not enhance, what we have done previously. Three, two, one. As for Caden, could an Olympics be in his future? If I were to compete in the Olympics, I would be hoping to compete in the 1500 or maybe the 5K if I get stronger in that event. But right now, I'd like to look at more shorter-term goals, and I'd like to see where post-secondary, like I said, will bring that to me. 60! Julia Foy, Global News. The Whitecaps are on the field, and Barry's here with sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't forget, the Whitecaps are going to be at BC Place August 21st, just a couple weeks from now, with real fans in the stands. It's been a while. Thanks, Jordan. The Whitecaps feel they are poised to make a second-half surge up the standings. They entered tonight's game in Los Angeles against the Galaxy, dead last in the Western Conference. But they've got Ryan Gauld and other reinforcements coming, and in a much more positive mental state now that they can play in Vancouver. So... They've got some good mojo. Can they turn that into victories? Ryan Gauld making his White Caps debut, not starting, but he has just come on as a sub. So we'll tell you about that tonight at 11. Galaxy owned the ball in the first half, finally capitalized. Kevin Cabral wide open. Max Cropo doesn't have a fighting chance there. Christian Gutierrez and Christian Dahomey didn't play today because of injury, and they were sadly missed. Lucas Cavallini goes down here, a calf injury. Looks like his night was done right there, but it was late in the half, so he stayed on. And moments after that, look at the bicycle kick by Cavallini. Almost scores, but he was subbed out at the half. L.A. had the 1-0 lead. But Vancouver came out as they have a lot this year. A much different team in the second half. And off the corner kick, Ronko Veselinovic heads it in. It's his first goal as a white cap, his first goal in MLS. And it's 1-1 right now, late in the second half. Well, Lionel Messi bid a tearful goodbye to Barcelona today during his farewell press conference. Very emotional for Messi, who cried profusely, saying he still can't believe he's leaving Barcelona after two-plus decades. Reports have him about to sign a two-year deal with Paris Saint-Germain. Messi helped Barcelona win the Champions League four times, and he leaves as Barcelona's all-time leading scorer with an incredible 672 goals. Well, it wasn't easy by any stretch, but they got them in. The Tokyo Olympics officially wrapped up with the closing ceremonies early this morning our time. They were delayed a year by the pandemic. Most of the events were played without fans, but it was still the Olympic Games and a lot of special moments for Canada, including one more gold medal for a female Canadian athlete. Edmonton's Kelsey Mitchell captured Canada's record-tying seventh gold medal in women's sprint track cycling. Women are responsible for about 80% of our medals, which is an all-time high, the 24 for the Summer Games, breaking the old record of 22. Now, Canada's flag bearer for the closing ceremony, gold medal decathlete Damian Warner walking into the stadium. Our athletes rocking their Canadian tuxedos, as they're called, the denim, and they extinguish the Olympic flame. Well done, Tokyo. Paris, France 
hosts the 2024 Summer Olympics. Final medal standings had uh, the USA on top, overtook China on the final day. They had the most gold and the most medals. Canada ends with 24, 11th overall on those seven gold tie, the best ever set in Barcelona in 1992. Blue Jays and Red Sox completing their weekend series and their season series. Game 19 already between these two. Boston winning 10 of the first 18. Red Sox jumped on the usually dependable Hyun Jin Ryu. Kevin Plawecki with the RBI double in the third. Ryu has chased in the fourth, Boston built up a 7-2 lead. But we know the Jays can score runs. This guy with pop in that bat, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. with his 35th home run of the season, a two-run shot, cuts that Red Sox lead to 7-4. Then in the seventh, Teoscar Hernandez with an RBI single, plates Guerrero, who had earlier stolen second base, just his third steal of the year. That made it 8-6. The Jays still in this thing. In the eighth, two men on for George Springer. And he will launch it. A three-run shot off his close friend and Boston closer Matt Barnes. Springer all pumped up. He has been on fire since the All-Star break. 9-8 Blue Jays. What a comeback. Canadian Jordan Romano in for the save. He will strike out Jaron Duran to end the game. Jays go 9-2 on their 11-game homestand at Rogers. And they're just three out on the wild card with 52 to go. They're in Seattle, by the way, next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mariners beat the Yankees today. Final round of the World Golf Championship. FedEx St. Jude Invitational. A bizarre 11th hole for the final group. Harris English was just sailing along. A two-shot lead on Bryson DeChambeau, but then English dunks his tee shot, made a double bogey. English was five over on the back. And he ended up fourth at 15 under. DeChambeau, meanwhile, next up on the tee after English, does the same thing. He finds the water. DeChambeau made a triple bogey on that hole and ended up finishing eighth. So it was good fortune for three other players, Hideki Matsuyama, Sam Burns, and Abraham Anser. They went to a three-way playoff on the first hole. Matsuyama with a chance for the win. Oh, that's cruel. Of course, he was in that playoff for the bronze at the Olympics exactly a week ago and didn't win. Second playoff hole, answer with a wonderful approach shot to about five feet. So he's got a birdie chance. Sam Burns, though, is next up. And he does one better. He likes this. And why shouldn't he? Check out this shot. Almost goes in on the fly. And he, too, has a great chance at birdie. Answer is up first. Matsuyama, by the way, eliminated after making par because Anser makes the birdie. So now Burns needs to keep the playoff going. Short little birdie attempt, but he misses. And Abraham Anser of Mexico gets his first ever PGA Tour victory. Corey Connors finished tied 36th. And final round of the Barracuda Championship near Squaw Valley, California. Beautiful setting, but lots of pressure for Merritt's Roger Sloan. Needs to be top two or three in this tournament to really help keep his tour card for next year. And he was right there, but on the short par 411th, second shot into the water, made a double bogey, fell from third all the way down to ninth. That was costly, but Sloan battles right back. Next hole, makes the birdie, knocks it in. You get two points for the birdie. It's that modified Stableford scoring 
scoring system. You get points for birdies and eagles. You lose points for bogeys. So Roger up to 36, and he finished strong, made two more birdies coming home, including at 18, where he stuffed his approach, and he would make the birdie putt to finish 40 points and end up sixth, won 126,000. He's 131st in the FedEx Cup, the 125, uh, top 125, keep the card. One more tournament to go. Eric Van Royen of South Africa won it. And basketball, Fraser Valley beat Saskatchewan 85-79. The Bandits are 6-7. and seven. One more game to go before the playoffs. That is Tuesday in Saskatoon against the Rattlers again. And then it's playoff time for the uh, Canadian Elite Basketball League. That's it. Jordan, Just back like to you. All, All right. right. A small BC design team has followed through on a grand vision to redefine the classic Austin Mini. Not only have they incorporated a very unique BC look to the vehicle, They've also assembled experts from all over the Lower Mainland to build a dream car that will be unveiled at a prestigious auto show this week. Here's Jay Durant with tonight's This is BC. It's been a race against the clock this summer, but Spectre Design has put on the finishing touches to this classic Mini. And they're about to put it up against some of the world's best design teams at the Monterey Car Week. We are sort of the underdog team here uh, and we are we're going against the big dogs and in, in very similar way that the mini did uh, when it was launched in 1959 from its success on the track to its celebrity status a british car recreated with a distinctive bc touch experts from all over the lower mainland were used to help in the development some in coquitlam burnaby richmond and chilliwack and that team has the capabilities and skill that deserves worldwide recognition. The car is made from recycled parts and products sourced from around the province. And the design is uniquely BC. The floorboard, there's a, a, a ocean wave to it and a sunset. I was drawing cars for fun. Marco Lee left a 15-year career in TV animation for this job. He's been sitting on some of these ideas for a long time. For example, the dashboard. Um, I saw a fruit bowl in a furniture store five years ago, and I thought that would look great in a car. I think I might have to, like, sand it. There have been some long days in the shop, but what started as a dream two years ago is finally complete. The plan is to make 10 of these selling for 180000 U.S., and car buffs will get their first look this week in Monterey. This is our moonshot. This is our, our biggest project, biggest undertaking. It's the, the most important, the most difficult, and the most exciting thing we've ever done. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people just need to know about, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And last word on the weather before we go, Yvonne. It's going to get hot over the next few days, especially for the interior. For us across Metro Vancouver, we'll start to see the heat building on Wednesday onwards. Likely some of the hottest days, Thursday, Friday, and leading in towards Saturday. It'll be very similar for the interior. We're not seeing any precipitation for the southern half, but there is a bit of rain along the north coast. We'll have to hang in there. A few clouds in the morning hours and then breaks towards the afternoon. And we leave you with some sights and sounds from the Abbotsford Air Show. That is the news hour. Thanks for watching. Good night.